Welcome to the Seminole Wars. In this podcast, we explore how the Seminole Wars came to be, how they were fought, and how they still resonate some two centuries later. I am your host, Patrick Swan, and our show is a production of the Seminole Wars Foundation, found online at www.seminolewars.us. We are recording today from the homestead of the Foundation in Bushnell, Florida. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome. In the 1990s, archaeologist Brent Wiseman began graduate work tracing a path to overgrown sites of the Second Seminole War. Lieutenant Henry Prince outlined these in an Army field book. Prince described an area in great detail, but no one had surveyed it for historical verification purposes. Prince listed places such as Osceola's wartime camp, known to the U.S. Army as Powell's Town. It was in Citrus County's Cove of the Withlacoochee, this place of meandering bends, twists, along the Withlacoochee River. The area supported a large Seminole population before and during the Second Seminole War. The cove was a focus of intense military activity in the first year of the Second Seminole War, 1836, with large U.S. forces attacking the Seminoles there. In time, the Army built Fort Alabama in what is today's Sefner. Eventually, the Army decided the fort, under the command of Colonel William Chisholm, should be abandoned because the presence of the Seminole in the area was dangerously high, making supply of the fort a dicey proposition. In April of 1836, the Army formally abandoned Fort Alabama and marched its troops to Fort Brooke, located in today's downtown Tampa. Two soldier stragglers perished when opportunistic Seminoles attacked them in the rear of the formation. This led to a fight, dubbed Chisholm's Battle, in a spot vaguely close to Lake Thanatosasa. Its exact location has remained a mystery, however, although Brent Wiseman says archaeologists and historians have known where it is for years in a general sense because Prince sketched it in his field book. Jeff Huff, who uses modern-day computer mapping techniques to find historic sites, went looking for it. After examining survey maps and recently two small mounds possibly holding the remains of two soldiers, he confirmed what he believed he had discovered back in 2008 while researching a book called The Fort King Road, Then and Now. He told the Tampa Bay Times what he believes he's found. Jeff Huff joins us today to discuss his findings and their importance. Jeff Huff, welcome to the Seminole Wars. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Nice to be here. What did you discover? I discovered the Battle of Flint Creek. It's often known as Flint Creek, the battlefield of Flint Creek. And uh, it's also known as the Acid Creek or Chisholm's Battle. Why were you looking for this? I found it when I was writing my book, Fort King Road, Then and Now. I read about it. I knew that it was around Lake Thanodosassa. I believed that it was originally on the Fort King Road. And come to find out, it was actually, it was another road to the east of Lake Thanodosassa. They also called that Fort King Road, a portion of it anyway. The, the book didn't cover that portion of the road, and... I kind of let the, the battlefield lay for a while in the back of my mind, and then I started researching it and figured out where the location was. Why has this site been so hard to locate properly? The Seat of War map, 1836 and 1837, showed... Uh, Chisholm's battle, but before I, I had seen that, um, it, but the, it, the battle it showed to the southeast of Lake Thanodosassa. Before I had seen that, though, I uh, started looking 
Local historians that I talked to, nobody seemed to know exactly where it was. Some people that thought that it was southeast of Lake Tenotisassa, but there, there are actually two creeks that merge and flow into Lake Tenotisassa. They're, they're both in the, the same general area of the battlefield. And in fact, the, the, the creek merges, the, the two creeks merge right at uh, right near where the battlefield was. So a lot of people thought it was on what was called Baker Creek. Pemberton Creek flows into Baker Creek. That system or that creek flows into Lake Tenotisassa. So a lot of people believed it may have been on Baker Creek. A few people might maybe on Pemberton Creek, but nobody really knew where it was. The entire area before 1938 at some point, I don't know what year, but they built canals to kind of dredge the, the lower the water table of the area. So uh, a lot of people thought that it was maybe up by, by the, where the canal is today, which is probably a quarter of a mile north of where the actual Pemberton Creek was at one time. There was just a lot of, there was a lot of speculation about exactly where it was. I used uh, historic references and, and old surveys and maps to pinpoint exactly where it was. But what you're saying, to recap here, is you found this site while you were researching that book, but since it was not on the road, you set it aside as something to come back to later. Yes. So what is significant now about this site and research that you've done recently? What's significant about the site now, there, unfortunately, it's been developed. And, uh, of course, like anything else in Florida, <laughs> we're, we're, we're so quick to, uh, to plow up the trees and then name the uh, subdivisions after them. But, uh, uh, unfortunately, it, it's developed. You can still see remnants of the old creek bed. You can still see uh, the meanders in the creek, which showed up on old aerial photos and, and uh, a, a battle map that... that Lieutenant Prince had drawn after the battle. There's no mistaking the geography there that this has got to be the site. You recently talked to the Tampa Bay Times. Why did they want to talk to you? Paul Guzzo, the, the reporter that, that worked with me, he covers old cemeteries. Right, right now is kind of the big thing. They're finding all kinds of cemeteries that had been forgotten and, and uh, built over. They're, they're, they're numerous cemeteries in the area. He got wind of the battlefield that I had found and wanted to know more. And he, he was very interested in the story, ended up being featured in the, in the newspaper. And the story is of a mound, or is it two mounds that were found? What is the tie-in to the battle? Is it these two mounds that were found? I think those mounds are really insignificant. The property owners that built there within the past few years, originally when I found the site in 2008, there wasn't a house where, where I believe the graves either were or are. In the past few years, a house had been built there. It was owned by uh, another property owner in the area, and he kept sheep and, and I think a few cattle on that. It, it's probably a couple acre lot, and uh, he, he kept animals on that property. I personally think he probably buried a horse or, or, or uh, you know, maybe a, a few goats. That was his burial pit, but I, I think, I really think the mound is insignificant, but the, the owners of the property now always joke that it's it's the grave is what they called it and they never knowing that the property sat on a battlefield and then come to find out from the battle descriptions descriptions of the burial two soldiers that were killed or that, that were buried there were most likely buried within that yard somewhere and when the reporter discussed that with them 
and they they were kind of they they, they kind of laughed and said you know that this is uh, well there's a mound in the backyard we always joked and called it the grave maybe it really is a grave so I think that was a little bit of a poetic license from the reporter just to it, it was a good intro to the story the property owners had always joked this was a grave and it may be you know is is is, is kind of the the angle that he took. I see. Because of at least speculation, you can't just get out a pickaxe or a shovel and start hacking away into the dirt to find out whether there's soldier bones in there or not. Absolutely not. Grave sites are, are, are of course, protected by law. It's, a, it, it's actually a felony to dig for artifacts. So this wouldn't be something that uh, any one of us could do. There would have to be permits pulled and, and there would have to be a proper company hired to actually do that kind of research. What happens next? You've gotten some publicity, at least, about this battle site. Nobody was necessarily talking to you in 2008 when you believed that you found it. Where do you see this going from here? My hope is that there will be a little further research. Maybe an archaeological group can do some research and, and find some artifacts, maybe nail down that this actually was the, the, the site of the battle. I'm almost certain that it was, but um, really without some type of uh, archaeological dig, I guess in legal terms, it's, it's just speculation. So my hope is that somebody would take some interest in this maybe do a, a little excavation. I, if, if the remains of the soldiers are still there, I, I, my, my ultimate hope is that those would be found. Although 180 some odd years later, Florida soil is not very kind to remains. It's a very acidic soil. It eats the bones and it, it's unknown whether these men were, their remains were, were actually put in pine boxes that might preserve them a little longer. Um, or, or if the bones were collected and, and thrown into the ground somewhere. So that, that would be my, my ultimate hope. And if it can be proven that this actually was the battle site, my hope is that some type of memorial or, or a plaque or, or something. You know, unfortunately, as I said, this, this area was developed 40 years ago, 30 years ago. So uh, a lot of it was. It, it, you know, they're big, they're giant parcels. They're, they're probably acre parcels. So there, there's not a lot of uh, development on there, but there are homes on there. There's a portion of the battlefield that, that is still undeveloped. That would have been where the Seminole line was. That, that belongs to a, uh, a large property owner. So uh, my hope is is maybe what's left of it might be preserved or uh, possibly uh, just just some kind of uh, recognition or, or I, you think you know for God's sakes uh, men uh, you know on both sides of the uh, both sides of the battle men fought there they they suffered there were wounded there men died there. It it, uh, it it really deserves some type of recognition. That's my hope. With mounds like this that are found, it's something for our listeners to know. Yes, the bones may have uh, disintegrated from the soil, but there may be brass buckles or buttons or things of that nature. And just going in there with a pickaxe, whether the law will stop you or not, messes up all that. When you have a trained archaeologist who goes in, they meticulously go down layer by layer, and if there are some remnants of the bones, they can find them. They uh, will find tiny microscopic traces in the sediment. But people going with metal detectors to try to find artifacts to sell on eBay destroy all that, and then whatever the artifacts are that are sold, there's no context to them 
where they were found, and they tell a story. Even if there's no uh, soldier bones in there, the, the buttons tell a story. Other things that are in there that are uh, inorganic uh, tell a story and help to, in this case, perhaps, uh, locate that this is the vicinity of where the battle was. Exactly, and and I'm a, I I understand the interest of of relic hunters. Uh, it, it's an interesting thing uh, to 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 find something historic. I've found arrowheads in the past when I was a kid. I uh, in Saudi Arabia uh, when I was there in 1991 during the Gulf War. I I found a an old uh, sword hilt. And, and um, it was uh, something that, that was just sticking up out of the sand. The tanks had gone through, and, and um, it's something that I had found. And I, I, I get the the appeal of finding something historic. It, it's fascinating, but it really does. It, if everybody and his uncle, uh, and you hear about it all the time, the, the pre-Columbian. There, there's a lot of pre-Columbian. There was a lot of pre-Columbian activity around Lake Tenochtitlan, and you read all the time where people go into fields and, and dig things up and, and without these without these traces of history we have an, a very hard time understanding who lived there, what they did, how they lived uh, and in this instance we, we have a very hard time understanding the battle. I recently read a, an account of, a, of an archaeologist who studied a Civil War battlefield in Missouri and there, there was a an excessive amount of artillery used in that battle. And having been artillery myself, I I understood what he was... You can actually see where a a round impacts and will spread uh, shrapnel in a certain pattern. And if you can triangulate off of that pattern, you can actually locate the uh, direction of the gun and if you take several of those impacts you you can triangulate and figure out where the battle line actually was well people were going in knowing that this was a battlefield and they were digging up all kinds of artifacts uh, uh, shrapnel from from artillery and unfortunately they they weren't able to to, to prove anything because the the place had been so ransacked but uh, they they could have actually potentially figured out exactly where cannons were at, at one point it's very sad to see it. I, I, like I said, I understand the appeal. You know, this history is all of our history. It's not just someone's personal history. <laughs> Jeff, what's the story behind the battle itself? Alabama militia was up uh, where Fort Foster is now, um, where the, the, the recreation of Fort Foster is. They, they, they were up. They had built a fort called Fort Alabama, uh, named after the Alabama militiamen uh, that, that were stationed there. They they were there to guard the bridge over the Hillsborough River, uh, the crossing at the Hillsborough River. By April of 1836, uh, operations had kind of were kind of shifting elsewhere in the state, and there was still a, a fairly significant Seminole presence in the area. And they decided to abandon Fort Alabama, but it had a lot of supplies, a lot of uh, munitions, and and the, the, another detachment of Alabama militia was sent up the Fort King Road or, or the eastern Fort King Road uh, along with the, uh, uh, the 4th Infantry. Uh, they were sent up there on April 26th of 1836. They arrived April, uh, in the evening of April 26th. There were two men of the 4th Infantry who were stragglers. They had, there were actually three. One came in later on that night, but the other two were missing, and they presumed that they were taken by the Indians, as they said. 
and um, they uh, they abandoned the fort. They they set a trap in the fort where they left a, a, a barrel of, of gunpowder uh, set to a, uh, a with a rifle set to it. So when they closed the door and left, anybody that opened the door afterwards would would set the the, the trap and and the and would and it would explode. Which about an hour after they left, it did. Um, they uh, uh, continued marching for I, I want to say nine miles. I believe I can't remember right off the top of my head. But they marched about nine miles and they were uh, they came across the remains of one of the soldiers who had who was a straggler. Uh, they they had collected around looking at the the remains of this mutilated soldier and they were ambushed by Seminoles who were hiding. Uh, they were on what uh, what what they called a a, a plane. It, it was uh, later on other accounts say that the Notasasa plain was a very grassy area, level area, but there was a large hammock and there was the, the Pemberton Creek ran through that hammock and uh, then. The Seminoles were behind Pemberton Creek. They were also to the left uh, uh, in some other areas by the Alabama militiamen. The, the, the right flank was the 4th Infantry. The, the, down the road was the, the wagon train or the supplies. And then on the left flank was the Alabama militia. One of the companies of Alabama militia was in right by the creek when they were ambushed, and they, they suffered terribly. I want to say 21 wounded, uh, three of which were, were mortally wounded. They were also getting some activity from behind the the, the column uh, and the battle, Prince said it lasted a half hour. Colonel Foster and Chisholm said that it lasted an hour. I, I would be, I, I would probably go with Prince's description. He didn't have anything to prove, and and I think the the, the other high-ranking officers were probably talking about the entire engagement, getting everything together after the battle, and and getting back on the road. It probably took an hour. The actual engagement, I would say, probably lasted a half hour, and. Uh, it, the Fourth Infantry fixed bayonets and 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 they charged across Pemberton Creek. They chased the the, the Seminoles off. Uh, Prince said we let them run at their own uh, at their own speed. Uh, and once they were across, they found the remains of the other soldier. They uh, after that they they left the the two mutilated soldiers. I guess they were in such a hurry they left the two mutilated soldiers on the field and didn't return until December 1st of that year, and they buried those remains. Of course, by then they were just bones. And um, so that was the that was the story behind the battle. April time frame, and then they came back in December of the same year to uh, recover the remains of the two soldiers who had died in the battle. Other than the two soldiers, were there any casualties listed among the soldiers? Not that I'm aware of. From what I understand, there may have been three, I think. There, there may have been three that were wounded. Um, the majority of the casualties, supposedly, were, were from one company of the Alabama militia. And um, I, I, I believe that there were uh, 21 wounded, uh, three mortally, who, who died shortly after the battle. It's not all that surprising that they would have encountered some Seminole, because this was where many Seminole lived before the war and during the war, and they'd had some encounters with them prior. They did set up a fort in the vicinity. Why did they decide to abandon the fort? I believe, I want to say that, that some opera, uh, operations were, were kind of focusing in, in another part of the state at that point. And then uh, also, 
I, I think it was it was 19 miles from Tampa. It was uh, it, it was a full day to get there. Uh, there were uh, numerous encounters with the Alabama militiamen, with the Seminoles at the time. I think they just felt that the the, the fort was they they couldn't manage it properly with with, with the troop strength that they had and with the operations shifting elsewhere. They they. I believe that they they decided to abandon the fort and maybe we'll come back later and 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 rebuild something. So, which they did. Uh, they returned the, the day after, or later on that day, uh, after they buried the soldiers in, in uh, December first. They they returned to the the site of Fort Alabama and built Fort Foster. Fort Foster didn't last because of the conditions that you mentioned, but have rebuilt Fort Foster, and people who are interested in the Seminole Wars and in forts of the time could actually go to Fort Foster to see a uh, snapshot of what life was like at an army fort. I've been there a few times, and it's a very interesting site. And it's supposedly not built on the exact location. Of course, they wanted to preserve uh, for for future archaeological uh, digs and whatnot. Uh, it, it, it's so it's not located exactly where where Fort Foster was, but it's pretty close, and it uh, is built to the uh, uh, specifications that the original Fort Foster was built. So it, it is a very good replica. It's very good. Uh, they have occasional events up there, reenactments, and living historians, and. and very interesting site. So if anybody is interested in, in what life was like as a soldier, as a militiaman, even as a Seminole uh, it, it, um, at that time, there are events that portray that. There are there are good living historians and historians that, that often visit the site and will give speeches and, and demonstrations. How close is that recreated fort and the fort at the time, Fort Foster and maybe Fort Alabama, how close was that to the old Fort King Road? It was actually right on Fort King Road. The the, the bridge crossing over the Hillsborough River uh, is a pretty steep embankment. The, the bridge car crossing over the Hillsborough River was Fort King Road that was built. It was one of the one of the few bridges along Fort King Road that was built, and uh, it, it was it's a pretty steep bank. So you can imagine if there there are you know hundreds of troops moving with wagons and supplies and and artillery, uh, you, you would definitely want to have a bridge there. And uh, I, I believe after the Dade massacre, the, the the bridge was was burned, but then it, it was rebuilt, and that's why Fort Alabama was there was to protect that bridge. So what was the Fort King Road? It was called Fort King Road, left out of Fort Brook, went through Hillsborough County, uh, crossed the Hillsborough River, River Pasco, uh, Sumter, Hernando. It, it went through uh, Citrus County as well. It went through numerous counties and um, ended in Ocala where Fort King was. That that was the, the official military road. Okay, so this battle, you said the battle site, was not on the Fort King Road. And that raises the question, if they were trying to get back to Fort Brook, maybe as expeditiously as possible, wouldn't the battle have been just off the Fort King Road rather than not on it where you found the battle site? Well, actually, if you look at the old surveys, they're, they're, they also called that the, there was an eastern road that, that went around uh, Lake Tenota Sassa. And that eastern road was also called the road to Fort King or the Fort King Road. 
that that's what it was labeled as in the uh, surveys that were uh, done in the 1840s and 1850s. So there, there was an eastern route, and I, I believe that that eastern route it was not built by the military, but I think it was heavily used. But what it was, it, there was a there was a Seminole settlement probably a couple miles east of the battlefield where I believe the battlefield is, where Fort Alabama was built and later Fort Foster. Originally, there was a, a, a settler who lived there on the Hillsborough River who had a, a trading post. His name was Saunders. And there was another settler that lived probably two or three miles southwest of where the battlefield is. Uh, his name, he, he was a missionary. His name was Simmons. And um, then there were two other settlers uh, right around the area of Highway 60 in Hillsborough County and the, the Tampa Bay Bypass Canal. They, they were the Collar family and the Dixon family. So this, this road went between all these settlers' homes, uh, homesteads. And uh, that my guess is the original road was probably, you know, when it was peacetime with the Seminoles, it was probably a, a, a thoroughfare between those settlers. Saunders would have needed wagons full of supplies to, to uh, sell to the, the, the few settlers that lived in the area or the Seminoles in the area. So it was probably a pretty well-beaten path. Um, and that is the, uh, like I said, it was also called the Fort King Road. So... Uh, there were two ways around Lake Tenotasassa. That those two roads merged uh, just northeast of Lake Tenotasassa. The road went out of Tampa to the east, up, up through Sepner to the east of Lake Tenotasassa, and then it merged with the the Fort King Road just northeast of Lake Tenotasassa. So that was the route that they were they were obviously taking. I've seen reference in some of the letters that were written, and and if you look at some of the surveys as well, there there are fingers that point in a, a particular direction: Road to Tampa or Road to Fort King. Uh, the, the the Road to Fort King, of course, point, points north, but there there is a reference on one of the surveys that has a finger pointing south along the eastern Fort King Road, and it says to Tampa. So uh, my guess is during the war that there were probably, if there was a lot of traffic, they probably were to take one way north and another way south. Prince, I believe, wrote when they, they actually did the burial, he, he said that we traveled the, the Fort King Road the usual way, indicating that there were a couple different ways to go, or at least more than one way to go. So I, I, I would, that my, I've never really seen any other proof of that, but that, that um, uh, that's my estimation. That, that my, my guess is that they, if there was a lot of, if it was a heavy column, they probably returned to Tampa one way, went north a different way. Well, it is part of Army tactical doctrine to, if at all possible, not return the same way you went forward. Exactly. Because somebody may be waiting for you to ambush you on the way back, so you take a different route. It's very possible, and, and there's a, uh, I can't remember the name of the camp, but if you look at the survey, or I, I'm sorry, you look at the Seat of War map, there, there were camps along the... the Fort King Road. They, they were not forts. They were just uh, built up areas for protection, I think. They were probably, uh, you know, log walls that were built. Um, and on the march, when they stopped at night, they would stop at these particular places for protection. And on the uh, Seat of War map of 1836, there is a camp, I want to say it was Camp Eustis, 
and Prince makes reference to it when they uh, went to to bury the bones of the, the the two soldiers. He said that they 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 encamped that night at Camp Eustis. Well, Camp Eustis is north of the battlefield, so I, I, it wouldn't make sense that they would pass the battlefield, camp out, and then come back down another half mile and uh, and and bury the bones. It's possible that they did. My my guess is that Prince said we went on the Fort King Road the usual way. I, I'm guessing that maybe they went around the west side, came down the uh, the east side to bury the bones. It would have been quite a bit out of the way, but uh, it, it it's possible. I, I may be uh, I may be guessing wildly here. I don't know. <laughs> Jeff Huff, we're out of time. Thank you so much for joining us on short notice for the Seminole Wars. Not a problem. Happy to be here. Thank you for the invite. If you enjoyed this show, please take a moment to like us on Facebook at Seminole Wars Foundation. Leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. Your reviews and comments help new listeners discover us and help us keep the show going. Visit our website at www.summonawars.us for blogs, articles, news, books, events, membership information, and how to subscribe to this podcast. We'll be back soon with a new episode of the Seminole Wars Podcast. The Seminole Wars Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to preservation, education, and publication of Seminole Wars history throughout the state of Florida. This podcast is copyrighted, the Seminole Wars Podcast 2020, all rights reserved. Front bumper music, The Devil's Garden, Roastem, provided by kind permission of Reedy Youngman. Back bumper music, Second Seminole Win, by Jed Merrim and Ricky Pittman, courtesy of Ricky Pittman, all rights reserved.